And today is Palm Sunday. Does anybody know what Palm Sunday is? Not that. Today is the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna to the Son of David. This is when he went into Jerusalem to declare he was king. And he would soon be arrested and crucified on Friday. Good Friday, though I don't like that word. Because I think it was Sad Friday. I call it Good Sunday. Because that's when he resurrected. Next week's Easter. We'd love for you to come back on Easter. We've got a really different message prepared for Easter than the typical. But today's Palm Sunday. That's when he came in on the, on the donkey. And they laid the palm leaves in his path. He knew it was his last week. But I thought a good segue for Palm Sunday would be to talk about a cartoon I used to watch. Anybody remember DuckTales? Late 80s. Dun, 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 dun. Here in DuckTales. DuckTales. No? This is like when I asked if anybody liked Toby Mac. I got the same response. One person. It's great. DuckTales was a breakoff uh, of the story of Scrooge. Scrooge, you guys remember the, the Christmas Carol? And Scrooge was an old miser who had deep pockets, but didn't like to give out much. And Scrooge had a worker, I can't remember his name, but he worked him like a dog and he'd give him a couple cents here and there, even though Scrooge had a lot of money. And everybody remembers Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim was the worker's son who had some health issues, but he could never get the issues taken care of because Scrooge just didn't pay to have enough money to go and take care of him. And when it goes to Christmas future, we'll say it's the Holy Ghost of Christmas future. That's the Holy Ghost we talk about right here. Showed what happened because of his uh, cheapness. Tiny Tim was dead. He died because he never got himself fixed. And later that became a cartoon that I watched, which was much more lighthearted. It was uh, Scrooge had a vault. It was a cartoon. He was a duck now, Scrooge McDuck. And he had his cute little nephews. And I can't remember if they ever had pants on, but I think they just had shirts because they're ducks, you know. But I was just thinking about them this morning. Did they have clothes? The ducks, but Huey, Dewey, Louie, you guys know who they are. And they would go swimming in Scrooge McDuck's vault of cash. And it looked so enticing. You'd get home at 4 o'clock after school, turn on DuckTales, and he'd be diving through the money. Now, if you try to dive in some gold in real life, it's probably not going to end the same way. It's not going to be like a swimming pool. You're probably going to be unconscious because of the impact, right? So Scrooge was a tightwad, and he didn't like to give much. He, he liked to take a lot of money, put it in his vault, and didn't like to give much. You see, blessings come by way of giving that which you possess, not taking from others. And before you hear the, the give word, you go, oh, geez, he's asking for money. Giving is much more than dollar bills. Giving money is a form of giving, but giving is a lifestyle. It's your personality. It's how you live your life. It's in your time. It's in your uh, encouragement. It's in your love. It's in your finances. It's everything is what giving is about. So when we expect blessings, we get them when we give. Taking never results in being blessed. It usually ends up in a void. In the eyes of God, we were designed to take little, but give much. We were made in His image, and that's what Jesus always does. God so loved the world, He gave. Jesus died on the cross, He gave. God will take a little 
and he'll multiply it, leaving an overflow of leftovers we never even had room with to begin with, with no option but to give it away, which we can give because there's too much. See, we're often generous, especially in the Western world, with our words, but our actions are programmed to take based on the culture's definition of what brings happiness. My passage today, if we go to Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 through 21, Jesus has just found out that John the Baptist was beheaded and his head was served on a platter to uh, Herodias' daughter, or to Herodias, her mother, as a, as a birthday gift. Had a really bright day. And Jesus is coming back and finding that out. He was a little down, and it says in verse 13, when Jesus heard it about John and his cousin, he departed from there by the boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw great multitudes, and he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place. There's no steak and shake. There's no quick trip. Quick trip. I know something like quick trip. There's no jack in the box. There's nothing. It's definitely deserted. And it's late. Send the multitude away that they may go into the village and get themselves a happy meal. Some food, it says. But Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. Give them something to eat. He told them, you do it. And they said to him, but Jay, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. And there's thousands out there. He said, bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitudes. So that they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets of leftovers afterwards. Fragments that remained. That doesn't happen. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men, plus wives and children. So most theologians say 15 to 20,000 people were fed with two fish and five loaves of bread. And there was 12 baskets left over. That ain't right. That doesn't sound right. See, we, you guys are familiar with the phrase Give them an inch, and they'll take a mile. You guys heard that? I was having a friendly debate with my blood relatives. I thought it was give them an inch, and they'll take a foot. And then I was corrected, and I corrected my sermon because I didn't want to look stupid. That's right, I said stupid. So it's give them an inch, and they'll take a mile. That's not really a positive connotation you hear. See, we look at it in a negative way. We, we try to help somebody within our capacity. But then they want to take more than we can give. They want to abuse the privilege of the blessing we try to give them, right? We don't look at it like we want to give them more. We look at it, hey, we gave you all we have. And you just want more. You're never happy. I believe, though, if God had written that phrase, he would have said it a little different. I thought about this. I think he would say, take an inch and give a mile. Take the two fish and feed 20,000. Now, I'm not a socialist and I'm not saying go give all your money to everybody else. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying God can take an inch 
and turn it into a, a, a mile when it's his will, and you're giving within all you're able to give. Remember the woman with the two mites? She gave everything she had, and God blessed it. God blesses when you give wholeheartedly. See, consistency, consistently giving your best in everything you do is how God will take your inch and turn it into a mile. The title of this message is Take an Inch, Give a Mile. But let's face it, some people don't like to give. It's more fun to take. I mean, it's kind of a, the way of the world, right? Haters gonna hate. Takers gonna take. You guys are like rappers out there. How'd you pick up on that? Takers are exhausting. I think of a vacuum cleaner when I think of a professional taker. You know, they suck you dry. They suck the life out of you. They leave you feeling kind of down after you're around them. Because they don't even say hello to you. They just come at you with what they need to temporarily fill a void that they can't fill that keeps draining out of their life and they have to take more to keep filling something that's not actually sustaining them. And so what do they do? They come take from you. They don't think to give because they're preoccupied with taking. We gather stuff. At, we're, at home we do this. You know, there's spring cleaning. We've got so much stuff. We have to have spring cleaning like four times a year in the house. We're overflowing. We take. We can't, can't even keep stuff. Anybody seen Hoarders, the TV show? Is my wife in the room? Okay, she is. Okay, she's not been on the show yet. But maybe someday she might make a reality star appearance. Hoarders are takers on a serious professional level. There's some, if you ever, you ever looked inside a hoarder's house on this show, they're like this. They're cracked out. They're in this corner of this house, and there's nothing there but them and the stuff. It's, it's, it's excessive. They're obsessed with the thrill of the take. They think if they just get a little more, I can't let go of that. And if I get a little more, then I'll be where I need to be. And then I need a little more, and it's like this addiction to take. I do. I think if I just, if I just make a little more money, you know, to get over that hump with Uncle Sam, then I get to where I want to be. And then if that happens, then well, if I could just get a little more, if I could just pay off this, it never stops. I keep feeling like I need to take more to find fulfillment. And it never happens. And it feels good when you first get it. When you first get the new thing that feels like it's finally going to make you happy, you're good. My mom always said, you always, you always ask me for everything for Christmas, Jeff, but when you got your stuff, the next day you were not happy and I had to return it all. It's because it was temporary. I just wanted, 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 and it never fixed the real issue. Takers chase an empty high. Culture breeds that the more we accumulate, the better we'll be. So that's the model we follow. And then we have repercussions of lacking fulfillment, lacking sustained desire to love people, lacking all these things. We don't know why. How come, how come takers never ask how you're doing? Do you, do you, you guys all have that person. They shoot you the text or they'll call you. And the first thing they say is, this is what I need. Call me back. Why don't they say hello? Anybody? Anybody? This is a group discussion. They don't say hello because they're not thinking about you. They're thinking about what they need because they're takers. They take. You are always on my mind what they're taking. 
I whip out a song. Music's my background. And I'll sing random songs for no reason. It's just who I am. They get mad at you if you don't answer. Your text is either. Same people. Let's face it. Takers can be selfish. That's right. If you're a professional taker, you might be selfish. And when we're selfish, we live in this bubble that my world is everything and my problems are everything. And I can't seem to get my life right because I'm so obsessed with my bubble that I don't realize if I live outside my bubble, there's actually things a lot bigger that can actually show me that my problems are only this big. But I don't look outside my bubble because I'm obsessed with taking and filling like the horn. Yesterday we had a birthday party for my eight-year-old daughter. And I was a taker yesterday. Evidently, I was a taker. And I was hungry. It was about 11 o'clock before the party started. And I hadn't eaten anything. And I thought, hey, I'm the man of the house. I can do what I want, right? The wife's not looking. And there was this really nice turkey pyramid sandwich in the fridge, all wrapped up, ready for the party. And I thought, I'll just pull one out of there. No one will, no one will notice. So I took a turkey sandwich out of the pyramid, and it left it in this crippled-looking state. It was no longer pyramid-like. It was like uh, a gimpy-looking half-pyramid. And uh, I thought telling the wife would be a good thing. So evidently, that was not a good decision. Taking got me in trouble. See, God can't get our attention when we have our attention, and we're always taking. Our attention is on us. God can't change a heart that has everything figured out. If you think you're whole, you can't, you can't be made whole because you already think you're whole. You have to realize that you're sick. Takers can be guilty of something as simple as not showing any love. That's giving, you know. You know when you give love, you're, you're giving. It matters. Actions matter. You gotta reverse the curse. If, you, if you're hearing this, you're going, I think I'm a taker. Then you gotta reverse the curse. And we've all been takers at some point. I'm, I'm preaching myself here. And the only way to fix it is to reverse the curse. Showing a little love is a form of giving. And it goes a long way. When I get a word of encouragement from like my brother or, or any random person, and they say, hey man, that was, I saw you working hard. I saw you doing this. I like what you said. Man, it motivates me. That little bit of encouragement, that one little inch of giving, turns into a mile for me, and I'm fueled down this path of motivation because of that one little seed. One seed. Church blood. Church blood. One seed church. Giving is much more than money. It's about giving your best in all that you do because consistently giving your best is how God will turn your inch into a mile. Do we strive to give God our best or just good enough? I know I expect God to give me his best. He's God. But do I match him? Am I willing to match what I'm asking God to give? Am I willing to try to exceed, which is impossible, what God would give me? But because I love him so much, and I believe him so much, and I trust him so much, I'm going to give him everything I can within my capacity, even if the world says it's just an inch. It's just two fish. Why bother? Send them to the village. You do it. You feel. God will multiply your inch when you give it wholeheartedly, but you got to give it. It takes action. It's a curse of material accumulation, and it's easy to get trapped. And giving is a way to reverse the curse. 
When you live in that bubble and you, you, your life is falling apart and your problems are this big and there's nothing's going right, guess what? Put your focus on someone else for a few days. Go call somebody and see what you can do for them. And you'll watch your whole demeanor shift because we are designed to be givers at heart. We are made in God's image and he designed us to give. That's part of his blueprint for us. That's how we find purpose is to give. Because once we understand what giving is, we understand what serving is. When we understand what serving is, we understand even deeper what Christ did for us when he died for us and when, when he gave his life for us. And so it changes our character as we start to give an inch, give an inch, give an inch, give an inch. God multiplies, multiplies. Now you're feeding 20,000 with an inch you thought was trash. You thought was no good because you acted in faith. It's a test of your faith. Your problems will disappear. When you take your attention off you for a bit. I mean, we are supposed to be the body of Christ if we've been born again and resurrected as Christ was resurrected. We are to be the arms and feet of Christ. What does that look like to you? Christ was a giver. My dad used to leave, he probably still does. He'd leave notes on restaurant tables my whole life, I think. He'd say, God bless you. Here's your tip. He'd overtip. I thought that was enough blessing by itself. They didn't even write the note, but he overtipped and he'd write a note to encourage Jesus loves you. God bless you. And I always thought, that's weird. Why are you doing that? That's a waste of time. Now I think that's pretty smart. Because you know what? If they think it's weird, they'll throw it away. But maybe that one seat that was left on that one receipt at that one table at Denny's. that inch could turn into a mile. God knows, and He expects you to do your best within your capacity. When you give wholeheartedly within your capacity, you give your two fish, He will multiply to feed 20,000. That's how churches grow. Everybody gives the best they can, and He multiplies it, because it's wholehearted. It's really about the giving. It's not about personal egos. It's about the giving, and He sees that, and that's what He wants. That's what He wants to see in the arms and feet. He wants to see that example, because that his image. You never hear anyone complain about being around someone that's too generous. You know, you go to Super Bowl and you got the one guy who's just, hey, how are you doing? How's your family? Can I get you anything? You know, that guy is so irritating. He's so nice to me. You don't really hear that. What you hear and you talk about on the car ride home, maybe it's just me, is the people that want to take from you and they leave feeling drained because they, they had nothing really to see about how you were doing or your family. They only had a need to fill by encountering you. But Jesus was a giver. People swarmed to Jesus. The multitudes followed him. I mean, his cousin just got his head cut off and the guy needed five minutes to go have a moment by himself. And the thousands of people just followed him. I mean, give the guy a break, you know. But he still gave. He said, okay, I'm going to go out there. And he healed them. And then they were hungry. The, the apostle said, send them away. He said, no, we're going to feed them. You're going to do it. He never stopped giving. Even in his low points, he gave always. It's awesome. Well, that was Jesus. You know, that's Jesus. Yeah, well, Jesus was tired and trembling, just like us. He's felt everything we could feel. And we can never say that he doesn't understand our situation because we were made in his image. And by him coming to the cross and dying, 
He has solved every sin, every problem, every issue we can feel. We can never excuse our situation that Christ doesn't know it because he does. And then some. It says he took on the sin of the world, the weight of the world. He felt the rapists. He felt the disease. He felt the murderers. He felt all that. Uh, this Friday when he's about to go to the cross, he felt all that weight. He knows your problems. Your problems are nothing compared to what he had to go through. So when we get that perspective, when we realize what he gave, our problems kind of disappear. Wow. I got air conditioning. My dad once said, I got air conditioning. I got cashews. My life's good. That's what he said. I thought about that. Yeah. He's got air conditioning and he's got cashews. He's sitting on his couch. Life is good. Makes you want to give when you realize how blessed you are. It builds gratitude. God took what the disciples thought was a waste of time. Insignificant. Made it Significant. God will multiply your inch when you give your best. About a year ago, so this church launched in January, and about a year ago, we officially started the church, but it was just a ministry. It wasn't converted to a church yet, and got real active on social media. And one of the first things I did was reach out to people internationally because there was a huge audience there, and they starved for the gospel. And even though our audience is here in like St. Louis, one fellow reached out from Bangladesh, Manique. And I was pretty new at this, and I'm thinking, what's this guy want to talk to me for? I can't help him. He sent me this letter to break your heart. It was triumphant, sad, emotional. I mean, it was powerful of his life because he came from a pagan culture in Bangladesh, him and all his friends, and they were starving for the gospel, and he had given his, given his life to God, had been born again, and was now trying to minister the gospel to his friends, who kept going back to paganism, because there was no one to preach the gospel. He said they kind of fall by the wayside after some time had passed, because there was no one there to preach the gospel. He says, send, send somebody. I'm going, dude, can we start a little smaller? All I got is an inch, man. I'm in Lake St. Louis, Missouri. You're in Bangladesh. I don't even know how many hours that is, but I barely can spell the word. I can't do nothing for you. So I was polite, and you know, I did pray for him. I, I, I gave my inch. I prayed for him, but I thought, you know, I don't know what I can do, but I know God, God can do something. So I kind of thought that was that. And I told my dad, and anybody knows my dad is knows he is a giver. He gives. Everything. It's all about reaching people to him. That's his, he's, he's gifted there in that area of ministry. He says, well, I, I know somebody that maybe over in that area, that's a missionary. I thought, it's a country. What, what a waste. You're going to waste your time. There's a guy in the same country. You think they're going to bump into each other at Starbucks in Bangladesh? I don't think so. So months went by. Months. I moved on. Monique's still on the Facebook page. He still likes my posts. Life is good. I'm ministering to him from Lake St. Louis over social media, Facebook. My dad goes, uh, did you ever, did you ever connect with that guy? I said, no. I, you're supposed to give me the information, you know, to this guy you knew. Well, he tracked down a missionary that happened to be, guess where? Bangladesh. He actually got his phone number. I said, we don't know. I'm in the social media era. I'm going to go on Facebook. Oh, I bet it's on Facebook. I go on there. There's the missionary on Facebook. Residing in Bangladesh. Preaching the gospel to Bangladesh. 
going, this is, this is almost a year later now, okay? All this time had passed. This was probably January when the original letter came in last April. I thought, okay, this is kind of weird. God is able to take this inch and turn it into something? So I contacted Monique. Oh, Brother Jeff, blah, 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 blah. I mean, he just so, so uh, loving in his demeanor, typing on the message. I said, hey, 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 Monique, we found a Bangladesh. We found a minister in Bangladesh. I don't know where you are, but maybe you two could connect and I can give you his number. He said, yes, 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 yes. So I put Monique in contact with the missionary. And last I heard, they connected. You see what happened? Over a year's time, what seemed like a complete waste, we were able to send a person right to this man where he lived when I thought it was a waste of time. I was going to send him to the village to go to McDonald's. But God said, you do it. See, God works, I believe God works through your peers, your church, the body of Christ. And sometimes when you're, when you're making the wrong decision, God will use somebody else like, hey, here's another opportunity. And you have to be wise and discern. Maybe I should listen. And luckily, I listened. So now Monique, we pray, is getting the gospel as he prayed for all that time. This is going to hurt some people. But what pains you the most to give? That's where God wants you to give the most. And you know why? It's not for you. It's not for him. It's for you. It's because it's control. It's about letting go of control. When you're willing to give where it's not comfortable, you're saying, all right, God, I trust you. I believe you are able. And it's a test of your faith. If you only give where it's easy to give, you're not really testing anything. He wants you to give where it's the most painful. What we think is an inch in remedial, God will increase into a foot, yard, mile. Breaking down what we struggle to give creates a test of faith on Jesus. God's got you by faith, so if you bring the least, give your best, and he will stretch it all the way to Bangladesh. Consistency turns your inch into a mile. He will take your so-called irrelevant solution that's a waste of time and make it relevant. He knows more than you. He has no counselor. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. My boys just got into Nerf. Nerf guns. It's like an epidemic of Nerf. You guys know Nerf guns? And I was thankful my brother kind of turned him on to this, and now that's all they talk about. Nerf guns. And the big thing with Nerf guns, you gotta have the bullets. And they got like arsenals of ammo. And when you're five and six, a big load of ammo is awesome. You can blow somebody away, man. You got like 500 bullets. You can, you can take out anybody with that Nerf gun. But you gotta have the ammo. Without the ammo, the gun's no good. And he was, my brother was telling me this story, how he had this, uh, Big supply of ammo. And you've heard the phrase, one man's junk is another man's treasure. One man's inch is another man's mile. See where we're Connect the dots, you guys still with me? So he came across some kid, I don't remember the story, but he said, hey, you, you take it. And he goes like, what, dude? Really? I can handle a bloody bullet? Oh, he freaked out. And my brother's like, yeah, I don't want it. It's just an inch. But he knew 
it would turn into a mile to that kid. So it blessed that kid. It was just a really neat story. How something as small as Nerf gun bullets was given and changed a kid's heart. You never know. I'm sure my brother said also, hey, Jesus loves you with those Nerf gun bullets. And now the kid's serving in the local church. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. He thought of it at least. Consistently giving your best is how God will turn your inch into a mile. Jesus told the apostles, don't wait for it to fall from heaven. You go do it. So they did it. Giving requires ownership, accountability. Without it, we'll say, well, somebody else will take care of it. You do it. He performs his greatest work through men. The Bible was written through men. God performs miracles through men. God heals people through men. And when I say men, mankind, that includes women. It's mankind. You do. God wants to fix your situation, but you got to get out of the bubble and put your attention on Him. Because when you give your best in all you do, your focus will shift to the place where destination lives, destiny lives, that He's got planned for you. If you can stand to your feet, let's pray. It's funny. I've read that scripture so many times, and scripture reveals something different every time you go through it. It's not like a novel; you read it once and you're done. It's a it's life-bearing word of God. It's not uh, I just read it, I know it. And when somebody says that, that's usually what I call a red flag. It means they don't really know the scripture. But it's so powerful because he just lost his cousin. He was beheaded. Do you know what that feels like? Me neither. Jesus lost his cousin. And in the moment, people were just pulling at him. And he still gave to them. He didn't say, where's my green room? Where's my M&M's and my special soda in my green room? I need a break. I need a, I need a break. He said, let's go. Let's go do it. He keeps, keeps, keeps giving. This is a special week. You know, egg hunts and all that stuff. That's cool. Easter is about the resurrection of the one who gave his life for you as a ransom for the debt of sin that was going to send you to eternal hell had you not been forgiven and been born again. It's a real thing. And today he said, this is my time. I am going to Jerusalem and I am going to declare that I am king. I am ready to give my life for all. That's powerful. Take it out of the story context and think about if you were there. Hosanna, blessed is he in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, the highest. There's Hosanna, the son of David. They're shouting at him as he's coming in to Jerusalem. I got inches, but God's got miles. And I can turn my inches into miles when God is in the equation. Lord, we come to you in your mighty name of Jesus, the name only given among men which we must be saved. The fullness of all that you are dwells in your name bodily. Jesus, you came to this world and your glory was beheld and when you knew you not, we crucified you on a cross out of ignorance. But today, 2000. 
18 some odd years later, we know who you are. And we are so thankful. Our hearts are filled with gratitude. Let us pull away the shades of the culture and remember that you gave your life for me, for all these people. Personally, one for Jeff Waltney, you gave your life. For Sean Waltney, you gave your life. For Corey Waltney, you gave your life. For all the Waltneys, for the Clancy's, for everyone else in here that I don't know your last names, he gave his life specifically for you. We are thankful, Jesus. We're excited that we have this chance to congregate together and share your word with each other and give you the praise together. And we're going to sing a song and then we're going to have a lunch together, Lord. We pray your anointing be in this place, God, and we multiply our inches into the miles you have planned for this church in Lake St. Louis. And everybody say, in Jesus' name.